Welcome to the discussion, Take Control of Privileged Access Before Attackers Do, sponsored by Beyond Trust. Here's today's moderator, Jason Miller. Welcome to the discussion. My guests today are Jerry Karen, the Chief Information Officer for the Office of the Inspector General at the Department of Health and Human Services. Gary Buchanan, the Director of Cybersecurity Office and the Chief Information Security Officer at the National Geospatial Intelligence Agency. Sean Connolly, the TIC Program Manager at the Cybersecurity Infrastructure Security Agency. John Sims, a Senior Technology Advisor for the Office of the Chief Technology Officer, also at the Cybersecurity and Infrastructure Security Agency. And Josh Broadbent, the Regional Vice President for Public Sector Solutions Engineering at Beyond Trust. Gentlemen, thanks so much for taking the time. Welcome to the discussion. Thank you. Let me set just a little context for our conversation today. The final, or should I say for Sean, version one of the Biden administration's Zero Trust Strategy debuted in late January. As Federal Chief Information Security Officer Krista Russia told me shortly after it came out, the strategy is just a starting point. While this journey will be long and sometimes hard, Russia and other administration leadership believe the strategy gives agencies a common approach that is just prescriptive enough to move agencies toward a common set of goals. And at the center of the Zero Trust Strategy is identity and access management. While IDEM is far from a new cyber protection approach, OMB believes improving identity and access management as part of a zero trust environment is a way to quickly improve system and data security and make them more resilient. Now, of course, there's more to zero trust than just identity and access management. The system maturity model details four other pillars that are just as, and then there's the integration among systems, the complexity that will grow as agencies add OT or operational technology to the mix of what you have to protect. So how can agencies bring all these pieces together and achieve the goals of zero trust? Well, that's where our panelists are going to come in and tell us how. Once again, I'm joined by Jerry Karen, Chief Information Officer in the Office of the Inspector General at the Department of Health and Human Services. Gary Buchanan, the Director of the Cybersecurity Office and Chief Information Security Officer at the National Geospatial Intelligence Agency. Sean Connolly, the TIC Program Manager at the Cybersecurity and Infrastructure Security Agency. John Sims, a Senior Technology Advisor in the office of the Chief Technology Officer, also at the Cybersecurity Infrastructure Security Agency, and Josh Broadbent, the Regional Vice President for Public Sector Solutions Engineering at Beyond Trust. All right, so I set us up. We know the Zero Trust strategy is here, that we have an executive order from the president. Uh, there's a lot going on around Zero Trust, so let's just start there. Jerry, maybe lead us off. Uh, what, what is your approach to Zero Trust? Give us maybe some of the latest details on, the, on your approach. Yeah, thanks for having me. Um, so definitely uh, excited. Uh, for the executive order that came out earlier last year, really putting an emphasis on zero trust. And I think that the memo that just came out is a good starting foundation for a lot of folks. Um, there are some things that are very pointed and tactical in that strategy, um, but there's some good foundational guides as well going out there. And there's some things I think um, there'll be some more detail to come. Um, my approach though, is I've taking uh, what I call or developed as what I refer to as a zero trust capabilities model um, that is made up of roughly the four pillars. I've, I've added a couple pillars or split it out a little differently. Um, done a self inventory of what capabilities I have because I want to make the most of my investments. And if I don't have to buy yet another thing, um, I don't want to. So I want to make the most of my investments. And then uh, what is my maturity? So using CISA's maturity model, what is my maturity in that functional area? And then I know my gaps or where I need to do my improvements or where I'm doing well. And so now what we're doing is we're drawing out our multi-year roadmap towards zero trust. What is the low hanging fruit? What can I do now uh, with what I have? And then we are doing, of course, market research for the gap areas that um, are necessary. Of course, participate in uh, a few working groups as well, which are great ways to collaborate with others. I know uh, a couple of our panelists, John and Sean, um, also participate in some of those working groups and discussions. And I think one of the things I've liked about Zero Trust is that collaboration and the networking that we've gained as a U.S. government, because so many people are working together on this. And this is one of the most collaborative subjects I've seen in some of the working groups is not just with other government officials, but with uh, industry as well. So it's been a great, um, a great um, topic and um, way to come together to solve a singular problem. Not one fit size all for all agencies. Uh, we all gonna have different approaches and probably different ways to uh, for the solutions, but there's a lot of great guidance coming out that helps steer folks towards this um, goal. 
Gary, I think your point about the collaboration that's happening across uh, industry, across the government is really important and something that I've heard many times from both industry and folks in government. I want to go back to one thing you said just real quick, this, the inventory. Can you give us just maybe the 50,000 foot view of how you're going about that? Because that's what I'm hearing is, is probably the most difficult place, the starting point for a lot of these efforts. Yeah, so I have, you know, you, you referred to the four pillars of what what uh, CISA uh, has as using in their maturity models of four pillars. But I kind of have like I have data, I have uh, identity, I have network, and I have automation and think and I have functional capabilities under each of those columns. So like under data, I'll have data loss prevention. So what tools do I have for data loss prevention? Um, some cloud instances that I have, you can turn it on there, or there are other ways I can do it with like some of the perimeter, you know, firewalls that I have. So there's different ways to address data loss prevention. And then what I do is I use the system maturity model and say, how am I doing in this area? And I, I kind of keep it simple. Um, I'm doing really good. Uh, we're, we're preventing a lot of data loss. Um, so I'm green or yellow. I got some improvements I can make or red. I, I have the tools to do it but I'm not doing it or I don't have the tools to do it and I got to start addressing this. And then I take that with each function as I go through. And then I know where I need to put efforts, uh, where I'm doing well, and I can say, okay, good, I'm on the right path there. And that will help be the input for my roadmap going forward. I think that's really helpful because I think when I've talked to folks in industry and government, that's the one place where everyone says, that's where you need to start with the assessment. Uh, Gary, uh, over at NGA, uh, the, this idea of zero trust is not new to, to the, the intelligence community. It's something you got, you all, I think, have been probably down that path for quite some time. Uh, what's your take on zero trust? Where are you heading in with, with this effort? Yeah, thanks, Jason. Uh, yeah, zero trust or the, the theories behind it are certainly not new to anyone in the intelligence community. Um, and, and we talk about the executive order, which basically lays out uh, the national security manager um, handling all national security systems, which most of NGA is, is national security systems. So we've, we've made some uh, really good progress uh, with that. Uh, we put together a zero trust team that's uh, comprised of both government uh, as well as contractor subject matter experts who are solely focused on the planning assessment and implementation of zero trust within NGA's uh, environment. Uh, so within that team, we've already developed our strategic approach uh, with the project plan, a notional schedule for implementation within the agency. Uh, we're working to finalize uh, the assessment of some of our existing capabilities uh, since they were never really assessed with the lens of zero trust principles, which, you know, never trust, always verify, assume breach, and verify explicitly. Uh, so the, the National Security Memorandum was actually signed by the president just last week, uh, and that gives some specific items that needs to be addressed uh, for zero trust within national security systems. Uh, as you said, yeah, we already have some uh, robust capabilities like multi-factor authentication is nothing new to us. Uh, encryption of, of data at rest and in transit is nothing new to us, but there are some different tenants uh, with the zero trust specific implementation that we're going to, to look at from that lens again. I love the fact that, I love the fact that it came up as an assessment issue. And you said, we've never looked at the lens of zero trust. Did that really change the lens that much? Or is it just, let's maybe just take a half a step back and, and see what, what capabilities we really have? Yeah, for us, it really did, Jason. I mean, if, if you go back to, uh, let's say the, the 90s or even early 2000s, uh, prior to, to September 11th, everything in the, uh, in the intelligence community was need to know. Uh, need to know, need to know, we, we had segmentation of data, uh, user rights. And then after 9-11, we moved to a paradigm of need to share. Um, so with that need to share paradigm, we started connecting more networks, assuring that data was available to more users, uh, assuring that, you know, uh, uh, connections between uh, the IC that had never happened in the past are now there. Uh, and now when we move to zero trust, it's, it's not a change, but it's a different focal uh, lens of how we're gonna look at how our systems are connected, how users are accessing the data, how we're tagging the data uh, to, to really give us that, assume that we've already been breached um, and then uh, you know the least uh, amount of damage that can be caused uh, by potential insider or, or outside of our organizations. There's a lot more to talk through that. So uh, let me go over to the folks from CISA, John and, and Sean. Um, I'll just throw it out to you. 
uh, CISA is, is a key cog in this zero trust wheel, if you will. You are helping agencies both through the maturity model, but also with their understanding of the assessments. There's so many different programs. Uh, CDM is, is one of the big ones, helping agencies. Uh, let me start by just by asking, what are you starting to see from agencies? What are you starting to hear from them as they move out on the zero trust effort? Yeah, I'll go ahead and take that one um, first, Jason, and I'll pass it over to Sean. I think one of the things we're seeing is just, just to, to kind of what uh, uh, Jerry was saying, you know, agencies are starting to look at, um, you know, what they have in their environments, um, doing assessments, uh, and looking at things that, uh, you know, that they have in, that are inherent in, in their current architectures and capabilities, and also looking at those gaps. And I think that one of the things that, um, you know, Sean and I have been working on from, from CISA is looking at how we can, you know, inform some of the planning, some of the strategies and, and, and what have you for the agencies as they're, as they're starting to uh, look at how they're going to transition from their traditional architectures uh, to those of zero trust. And I know CDM plays a huge part in that uh, role in terms of like the censoring of the networks and what have you. And so I, I think that, you know, that's that this, some of those preliminary steps uh, are is what we're seeing, uh, you know, uh, in terms of where the agencies are, are at today and where they're, where they're headed in the next couple of weeks. Sean, do you have anything to add to that? Yeah, thanks, John. And thanks, Jason, for the opportunity. Uh, you know, John's perspective is unique, of course, being the uh, one of the first uh, CDM program managers. And you mentioned, Jason, that strong alignment between Zero Trust and the CDM program. So there is uh, perpetual discussions, if you will. We've mentioned EDR and the focus of rolling out the EDR solutions to help agencies as part of what we want to do with Zero Trust. Uh, we talked about the implementation plans. We go back to the memo itself fairly quickly. The agencies need to be able to designate their zero trust uh, delegate, their, their point of contact for us then to work with them. And I think within 60 days, agencies not need to uh, send in their implementation plans, how they are going to build out zero trust. But in the whole uh, time is working, as John mentioned, we're continuing to work with agencies as they start to learn about zero trust. Uh, back in September, the Cyberstat team at CISA uh, held a zero trust event. Uh, we had Eric Mill, Rowan B, uh, John, myself, and some others talking about zero trust. And there was over 600 participants in that working group. And I, that's a very large number for us. I think that speaks to the interest across the federal government and the help that the federal government needs to help move toward that zero trust uh, uh, vision laid out in the memo. Interesting, Sean, about the, 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 the Cyberstat event. Uh, was that basically a primer on, on zero trust, kind of like, hey, we put out the draft strategy. Here's what it says. And here are some of the things you can do between now and whatever that final strategy about, or was it more about, hey, what is zero trust? Why does it matter? What, what was the kind of some of the goals? No, sure. That, that's a great question. So I think it was between an hour and a half long uh, meeting. But to your point, I think the first maybe half or so was more Eric Mill talking about the draft strategy. And of course, the draft was out released in September. So agencies were aware of it. And then maturity model was also released in draft. So we went through and reviewed that, but the second half of the meeting was hearing back from agencies where they think they're gonna need help or where they also, some of the areas where they want us to focus that maybe we didn't look at in the, in the zero trust effort. So it was a very collaborative event. We took a lot of those lessons learned back. I think you saw it in some of the updates OMB releasing their memo itself and what we'll uh, build into the maturity model going forward. All right, good stuff. I think that that type of collaboration is what we talked about earlier. I think what Jerry was talking about is really what, what's uh, helping make this real versus a lot of the other cyber memos that we've seen over the years. Uh, Josh from uh, Beyond Trust, uh, let me turn the question on you a little bit. When you talk to your government clients, when you when you are see, looking through different uh, events, what are you seeing from agencies? What, what's the types of questions about zero trust and what, what, what are you seeing about their progress? Yeah, Jason, uh, thanks again for letting me be here. As we talk to our customers at BT, um, you know, we're seeing obviously a lot of different, um, a lot of different customers are at a lot of different stages along this journey. Uh, one of the things about the OMB memo that came out is I, I really think that idea of having a deadline and when they need to have a plan to implement this is important because 
so many of the zero trust strategies across the federal government really didn't have a plan. Um, it's something that they've been trying to accomplish um, uh, kind of going back and retrofitting, right? Whatever they had to, to make it fit. Um, and to, uh, to Jerry's point earlier, the collaboration that's beginning to happen and that has been happening over the past you know, year, year and a half uh, among agencies around these solutions is starting to gain a lot of traction, a lot of steam. So um, as we're having conversations with federal agencies, a lot of those conversations actually revolve around the question that you just asked me. What are you seeing in other agencies? How are other agencies handling this? Um, there's a, a strong desire in this case, um, not only to get this right, but to make sure that there's kind of this group think going on that we're deploying a similar strategy. Um, that being said, the OMB memo also really made sure, I, I think somebody uh, on a panel that I heard earlier this week uh, talked about the color of crayons, right? It doesn't matter what color of crayons you use to get this done, but uh, you, you get it done. Um, so I really think that the concept of being able to, to plan this, make it appropriate uh, per agency, but at the same time collaborate among different agencies is something that we're seeing that's, that's really different here. And I think that's the one thing that's different about Zero Trust is it's not just one size fits all, which we've heard 101 times, but, and because everyone's starting at maybe a different point, it, what the memo is doing and, and strategies are doing is, is giving folks that path. And that's a pretty wide path. Uh, it, it sounds like, though, Josh, everyone should start kind of at that assessment phase, understanding what you have to know where you need to go. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so I started my career doing Active Directory migrations, and I can remember doing three-day whiteboard sessions of Active Directory migrations, deciding where things would go. Um, and I think we're starting to see people take that same approach to zero trust, the step back. Let's make an assessment of where we are. Let's make a plan. Um, as, as zero trust became popular, there was uh, this moment of trying to retrofit and go, hey, you know, we already have all of these things. So let's see how these things can fit uh, into a, a zero trust structure rather than having a mindset shift of we're going to do this from a zero trust mindset and we are going to step back and, and decide how we're going to plan this and it may involve redeploying some things it, it may involve tools that we already have or we may have to go out and acquire tools um, but but it's basically a, a mindset shift from uh, we built a zoo and we didn't build any cages and we put all the animals in it versus hey we're going to build the zoo we're going to put all the cages in it and then we're going to you know we're going to put the animals in this way we're not missing any zebras at the end of the day um, so this is you know it, it's really that mindset shift of assessment and planning and strategical uh, execution of zero trust that we're seeing uh, as a big difference with this. I love your analogy of the zoo because uh, if you're from the DC area, you know some zebras actually escaped from a zoo and they were on the loose for quite a while. They've all been captured humanely. Uh, let's take a quick break. When we go back, we'll continue our conversation. You're listening to the panel discussion, Take Control of Privileged Access Before Attackers Do, sponsored by Beyond Trust on Federal News Network. Almost every cybersecurity breach today involves the exploitation of privilege, whether to infiltrate an environment or to move laterally across your network. With Beyond Trust Universal Privilege Management, you gain the power to secure and manage privilege across identities, passwords, endpoints, and sessions, giving agencies the visibility and control they need to reduce risk, achieve compliance, and boost operational performance. Beyond Trust solutions help secure all cabinet-level federal civilian agencies and over 100-plus Defense Department environments with ATOs both on the classified and unclassified side. Learn more at Beyond trust.com welcome back you're listening to the panel discussion take control of your privileged access before attackers do sponsored by beyond trust on federal news network i'm your host jason miller my guests today are jerry karen the chief information officer for the office of the inspector general at the department of health and human services gary buchanan the director of the Cybersecurity office and the chief information security officer at the national geospatial intelligence agency sean Connolly, the tick program manager at the Cybersecurity and infrastructure security agency john sims a senior technology advisor in the office of the Chief Technology Officer at the Cybersecurity and Infrastructure Security Agency, and Josh Broadbent, the Regional Vice President for Public Sector Solutions Engineering at Beyond Trust. We spent that first segment talking a lot about this idea of what Zero Trust is, how it's being implemented, tagging back to both the, the new final strategy put out by OMB and the President's executive order from last May. A key piece of this is identity. And one of the things I heard time and again is identity really is the, the underpinning, it's the foundation, one of the foundational elements of Zero Trust so let me start with that question about identity and access management and, and, and how is that really a focus area? 
Gary, why don't you lead us off? Uh, I know the IC has had a big focus on identity and access management, but is it is, is zero trust causing you to, to go in a different direction? Is it is it causing you to rethink this a little bit? How do you see the, the that foundational piece? Yeah, great question, Jason. So, uh, so the identity itself is is, is a piece of zero trust. Uh, what that identity has access to is the harder part for us. Um, so we we have a, a pretty good vetting process of all of our users uh, within the IC, as you can imagine. But once you're in the door, we we much in the in the past been like an M and M, right? We have that hard hard candy shell on the outside, but once you're in, you are in. Uh, the the real change in identity and access management comes to what once you're within the door you can get access to and that's not a that's i mean it's easy to say we need to do micro segmentation of networks and that kind of stuff but it really goes down to the data level um if you think about my agency as you know the world provider for geoint uh, we have imagery of, of of the world and not everyone needs to see every piece of image uh, every piece of imagery around the world how do you limit uh, a, a file that is a you know a huge file to just a select group of individuals um, and so that's really the the larger part of the zero trust uh, identity and access management piece for us is it's tagging the data into appropriate groups. That tagging, John, is probably what is most challenging for agencies. And and, and I think in the memo and, and, and in the work you guys are doing in the maturity model, you really try to hit upon the roles-based, roles-based, or I'm, I'm messing it up, Sean, help me out here, roles-based, Access control. control. There you go. And now it's moving to a, a new kind of uh, access control viewpoint. Yeah, I think uh, identity is really becoming the coin of the realm. It's what's being used throughout the environments. Um, when you read the uh, Federal Zero Trust Strategy, I think identity is uh, mentioned 30 plus times in the memo. So very large, important hook toward it. At the same time, we recognize identity is not the only pillar. Uh, when we do some of our Zero Trust 101s, we go back to SolarWinds and we looked how really part of the SolarWinds attack, and this is all open source here, not saying anything uh, classified, it really it, the, the adversary attacked the identity store and then used the compromised identity store to gain access into other areas. And so we recognize we need those other four pillars, data, device, uh, application network, when the identity uh, pillar can fail. We have to recognize both the importance of identity I think what Gary said also was important. Um, you know, it's like you mentioned, Jason, it started out with who and what, but now the question is moving to why. And that's a difficult question to answer. It's that context we have to build around what we're doing with the, with the uh, access. So the question of why, the question of how to build out the context, I think where we're gonna see a lot of uh, focus on, and I think that's reflected in the strategy also, that one uh, part of the strategy, which mentions about building out new data sources to use to leverage as we build out the new ICAM solutions. Thank you. Hey, um, Jason, I'd, I'd love a chance real quick. This is Josh. Um, one thing that I, I always find fascinating about that SolarWinds breach is, is not only did we see that identity store compromise, but we also saw the result of a strong um, zero trust approach in the way that we found out about that, right? So at the end of the day, we ultimately came to know that that existed because phishing resistant MFA was in place. So as we're building out these zero trust architectures and we're talking about data tagging and we're talking about all of these things, we have to remember that those, those basic core tenets of zero trust of identity management um, still have to be built out in that platform, whether that's uh, identity management or MFA that's called out a lot or, or privilege management, right? Uh, being able to make sure that we have full control over our privileged assets and privileged users. Uh, so I think that, you know, the, the broader conversation still needs to be the, the part of the OMB memo that talks about this being a defensible position for all of our networks, that the more that we apply this, uh, the less things like SolarWinds happen. Jason, if I could just jump in for a minute. Um, a, couple of, a couple of things that, um, you know, have, have been said over the last, you know, couple of speakers about you know visibility and you know you know authorization and access management in the context of of identity management those are some really important things that if we tie that back into some of our earlier uh, parts of the discussion about really understanding what's going on in the network and what's going on with data and how users are using it how systems are using it those are very important things to understand 
And I think that as, as we get a better understanding going through some of our preliminary work with uh, Zero Trust, we're going to have a better uh, opportunity to uh, provide visibility into those, system, those areas of systems use and data use that we, we generally have, have struggled with. And, uh, you know, looking at SolarWinds in particular, you know, the recognition is that we can't stop all these attacks, um, you know, uh, even with zero trust, but rather having the ability to use, uh, you know, telemetry out of the identity and access management capabilities of the systems and, and the application stacks is really what's going to give us that awareness of what's going on and what's abnormal uh, that we need to take action on. And I think that's, that's something that that's really important to keep in mind as we talk about solar winds, you know, the adversary was in those systems for months, uh, you know, before we actually found out. And what we want to do is, is be in a position to be, uh, you know, shorten that, that, that dwell time, if you will, to where it's not months, but it's like minutes or hours, right? So that's, that's, a, that's a really important concept I think we need to keep in mind as we're starting to think about what zero trust and identity and access management really means uh, for our future, um, you know, architectures. Yeah, John, that dwell time that you talk about, I think just as important as in the dwell time is the ability for the adversary to move laterally, right? And so when you think about the zero trust, for me, it's you may have this one part of your network compromised, but they're not going to be able to break out, right? This is the only thing that they can do. And so uh, dwell important, but lateral movement or, or limitation of that is very important as well. This is Sean. I think when you look at how, when we had that large, long vision of zero trust, how it's going to be a nightmare, or it's going to be a real challenge for adversaries to move around, right? You got to, we're going to focus it so it can only be uh, certain programs using certain hashes, can only move from certain IPs to certain applications over certain hours off of certain devices with a certain identity users. That's going to really limit uh, not, not only lateral movement, but the exposure when that's recognized, when something outside that baseline is moving. And so I think that's ideally when we start looking at zero trust, the long game, that's where we want to get to is we recognize these baselines of what the adversary, what is normal and then what is abnormal. Sean, I think you're absolutely right. This is Josh, that contextualization of requests um, and, and data access and authorization and authentication, understanding um, you know, user behavior, the addition of user behavior analytics into these identity management systems and the zero trust strategy uh, is ultimately what this is going to look like in the future. Um, I've even seen recent technology developments where certain um, user behavior analytics applications are measuring the pattern and the way that, that people type on keyboards, right? right? So that you can, it's almost like a digital footprint. This person types 105 words per minute. All of a sudden a request is coming from somebody who types 200 words per minute. This is clearly not the same person unless they had a magical keyboarding class over the last 24 hours. Um, but the idea that we have to understand the context of the request and the idea that we need to prevent lateral movement uh, is something that at, at BT we have talked about for, for several years now. Um, that concept of not actually having privileged users, but having a contextual request where the application is privileged and can get what it wants, can get the, the permissions that it needs um, so that a user doesn't have a token that allows them to move laterally at all. All of these things are gonna be super important as we're going forward and implementing these zero trust strategies. I want to go to uh, something that was said kind of uh, we've been talking about and if you the title of our panel discussion is about privilege access privileged users and, and maybe Jerry maybe you could jump in here this idea of, of understanding who is a privileged user and what access should they have and how to limit that access or just control that access maybe that's the better word how are you starting to look at that because you know for years and decades the privileged user was the was the was the really the 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 one person or one group of people who could do anything. And, and if you compromise that person, which I think, if correct me if I'm wrong, it happened at Solar Winds, uh, that was kind of the underlying piece there, that caused a whole lot of other problems. Yeah, so definitely there's a few things. Uh, you know, uh, least privilege, of course, we've been talking about least privilege for years. Um, somebody mentioned, you know, I do an active directory migrations. I've been there, done that as well. Um, and we know usually what, what happened in that kind of environment, you add a user to a group and as a right of being as part of that group, they get the special privileges that you're talking about, those elevated privileges as a result. And 
did somebody go remove them from the group usually? No, uh, they were perpetually an administrator. So, you know, looking at ways to not be perpetually be administrator, time bounding them, uh, just in time administration is, is some of those things that definitely practice. Uh, just like with uh, classified materials, uh, when you're not using them, where are you supposed to put them? You put them in a vault, you lock them up, you put them away. And if you need to get them, you got to know the combination, get in the vault to get them out and use them. And when you're done, you put them back. So that kind of simple, simplistic concept is definitely something, um, you know, things to look at when it comes to privileged user accounts. The other aspect that I talk about um, when I talk about, um, I, I talk a lot about, I call it dynamic risk scoring. Um, and it's basically what will tell the policy engine when you look at 800-207, what needs to be done, but it's based on your risk tolerances. So all those users, privileged users, normal users, uh, power users, whatever types of user categories you have, they all have different levels of risk. I would say those privileged users have a very high level of risk as a result of what they have access to. Uh, one of the things we've been talking about is yes, identity is not all of zero trust. It is very important, but you know, to get the point across, because some people start talking about identity and that ends up being the whole conversation about zero trust. And what happens is I ask one question is I say, all right, if your account got compromised, Jason, probably if I'm the cybersecurity analyst looking at this issue and you're, you're compromised, I'm going to say, what did you have access to? And what and is there exfil? So I'm really, I'm asking about the data at that point. Um, but over being an over simplistic, you know, it is about protecting the data. So one of the things I am doing when we talked about what are we doing as well is there's the non-technical aspect, kind of focus on the technical aspect when I was talking before, but there's the non-technical aspect. I'm buying in my users and making them part of the team now. So I'm selling them what zero trust is because they're gonna hear about it. And it's gonna change fundamentally the way they work, but I wanna know how they work. What data do they need access to? Because what I advertise to them, and you know, it kind of sounds cliche, but you know, they understand it, the right access to the right data at the right time to do their job and that they can trust that that data has its integrity, that they can trust it because they're using it to make decisions, reporting and all those things. So I'm buying my user base in now to understand how they work or not how they work, how they want to work. Um, and then, you know, the things that Zero Trust brings along, you know, um, you know, some efficiencies, we're going to the cloud, we're going to the internet. Right now we hairpin back to some on-premise network to do that. Um, there's ways to get rid of that single sign-on, you know, move seamless, more seamlessly. And then the other thing, when we talk about identity and we talk about access and authentication, it can't be a one-time linear event. It has to be ongoing and evaluated all the time. And we, because there's, um, there's factors that can change at any time. And we've got to be able to measure those. And based off, if you're, whatever your threshold is, take the appropriate action. Um, so that, that's very important. That it has to be ongoing authentication, ongoing access in my mind. Hey, Gerald, I, I like what you said about going back and making sure that folks who had privilege access has been removed when they move on to other jobs. I mean, how often have we all seen folks who have had a you know, 10 or 15 year career uh, in, uh, in, in a particular organization and you go back and you look at what they had access to as they've moved around to different jobs, they never take away their access. They just gain more. Um, and so we really got to do a better job about uh, do that administrative process of removing accesses when folks no longer leave it. Gary, that reminds me of a, a uh, agency that I was working with when I first started my career, and they had 300 admins in their IT staff and 200 of them were domain admins because somewhere along the way, the domain admin decided, oh, you need more rights. I'm just going to add you to the domain admins group. And so literally two thirds of the 300 people were domain admins because that's how they did it. Um, so, so that's networking 101, open up all ports, protocols, services, it'll work. Um, yeah, absolutely. The, the trick is going back afterwards and you know, locking it down. Yeah, which is, which is really what um, you know, this, this entire zero trust concept is about. It's about changing our mindset from that concept of what makes our job easiest to what makes our networks defensible, right? Um, because the truth is those two things are not always the same. Um, you can remove every restriction ever available to anyone and everything will work. But at that same time, uh, that also means that as soon as somebody crosses your threshold, everything will work for them too, whether or not they're supposed to be there. So yeah, absolutely. I think that concept of you know, being able to evaluate privilege and the fact that privilege management, as much as 
you know, coming from a privilege management vendor, we love to talk about products. It's, it's hygiene. It's, it can go back to not even having products, but it can go back to, hey, did I clean out my network admins group? Did I clean out my domain admins group? Did I clean out my SQL admins group? You know, all of those things that are, are basic practices that as, as uh, an IT group, we, we have foregone for so long because it was easier. Um, we really have to think about that defensible position. I, this, I would this, have oh I, I would have to add too is look what's happened with the technology as well. You know, right now, if I wanted to share a document with John, let's say, I don't have to go see my system administrator to do the permissions. I can do it myself because why? The cloud tools that we're getting are more collaborative. So should I be sharing it with John or not? Now, you know, is we, we have to we have to be careful um, how we approach this because now a lot of people have a lot more power to share a lot more data and information as a result and not have to go necessarily to an administrator or some kind of control mechanism to do that. So we, as we go through this, we need to make sure that those things are in place too. So people aren't oversharing things that they shouldn't suppose shouldn't uh, be. So that goes back to like the data tagging and things like that, making sure that we know where our data is and what it is. John, so I think one one thing that that, that kind of is, is floating around this this part of the conversation is governance, and and if you you know if you look at if you look at uh, you know the size of the, of the agencies networks um, you know as we've talked about you know they've been built and maintained over the course of the last 20, 25 years in some cases you know going back to when we started moving off of mainframes. And I think that one of the things that's challenged uh, a lot of agencies in IT management is the ability to actually govern their networks, their operations, and the overall IT lifecycle management. I think one of the things that, that you know, when Sean and I were talking about zero trust in the context of the maturity model, you know, we, we quickly, you know, came to the conclusion that governance is important today. If you're in a, you know, perimeter, you know, based architecture, the way that we've been, been operating, but it's absolutely critical as we move towards zero trust. And so one thing that I think that we've really got to keep in mind and reinforce is, is making sure that our governance processes and, and capabilities at, you know, keep pace and, and in some cases may be ahead of what we're trying to do on the technology side with zero trust. I want to uh, just complain real quick, if I could, Jerry, uh, this focus on data and making things harder to share not good for journalism. I'll just leave it out there as that. On that note, we'll take a quick break. We'll come back. We'll continue our conversation. You're listening to the panel discussion, Take Control of Privileged Access Before Attackers Do, sponsored by Beyond Trust on Federal News Network. Almost every cybersecurity breach today involves the exploitation of privilege, whether to infiltrate an environment or to move laterally across your network. With Beyond Trust Universal Privilege Management, you gain the power to secure and manage privilege across identities, passwords, endpoints, and sessions, giving agencies the visibility and control they need to reduce risk, achieve compliance, and boost operational performance. Beyond Trust solutions help secure all cabinet-level federal civilian agencies and over 100-plus Defense Department environments with ATOs both on the classified and unclassified side. Learn more at Beyond trust.com welcome back you're listening to the panel discussion take control of privileged access before attackers do sponsored by beyond trust on federal news network i'm your host jason miller my guests today are jerry karen the chief information officer for the office of the inspector general at the department of health and human services gary buchanan the director of the Cybersecurity office and the chief information security officer at the national geospatial intelligence agency sean Connolly, the tick program manager at the Cybersecurity and infrastructure security agency John Sims, a senior technology advisor in the office of the chief technology officer, also at the Cybersecurity and Infrastructure Security Agency, and Josh Broadbent, the regional vice president for public sector solutions engineering at Beyond Trust. We talked a lot about in the last segments about zero trust, where it applies, privileged access, least privileged access, trying to understand how to ensure that folks don't have access to the entire you know, high value assets and, and, and everything else, and how to really understand roles and responsibilities. Josh, there's another piece to this I just want you to kind of weigh in on. It's the rise of IoT devices, Internet of Things, operational technology. All of that now must be considered by agencies as part of the zero trust effort because it's not just software, but it's also the hardware piece. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so as we take a look at those IoT devices and the, the hardware that ends up on networks, uh, the conversation around zero trust that I tend to have uh, really revolves around this concept that these are now all devices that have authorization authentication on your network. 
Um, so as we have these devices that exist and they converge into our IT networks, into our identity stores, into everything that we have, um, you know, we, we have to step back and, and continue that zero trust conversation around these devices. How do we make sure that they stay isolated? How do we essentially manage their identities? They may not be users with a heartbeat, but they have identities. So how do we manage their identities and make sure that they actually um, have only the access that they need, which in this case usually is just some form of internet access, right? So that they can continue to be monitored or, or whatever they need. Um, so really the, the concept around these IoT devices to me is more about their convergence back into IT. So at some point when they first started up, um, IT departments decided, hey, we don't wanna have to mess with them because they're not actually identities. They're not things that we work with on a daily basis. Um, so we're just gonna ignore them and we're gonna give them a new name and that's gonna make them not part of our responsibility and we're gonna call them operational technology. But the truth is we have seen multiple breaches over the last 24, 36 months where uh, operators have jumped from operational technology to information technology networks and capture data from that. So we really have to see that that, is, that convergence is going to exist and happens whether we want to give them separate names or not. So with that, we have to manage these identities and we have to manage them the same way with the same zero trust mindset that we manage the heartbeats that are inside our, our, our buildings. John or Sean, from CIS's perspective, you guys have a role in the OT side, the, the critical infrastructure protection efforts that you all do. Are you starting to get questions about where does OT fit into this discussion around zero trust and, and cybersecurity? Yeah, I'll, I'll take it. Um, I'll take the first crack at this. I think that, um, yeah, I think that if you look at, um, look at the federal mission, we've got a lot of agencies that have scientific equipment that are living on their networks. In a lot of cases, maybe segmented by a firewall, but, you know, um, you know, we've seen where, you know, the antiquated software, hardware, um, because those, the life cycle of those devices is generally longer than those of a, of a regular desktop. And so I think when we look at, you know, that type of technology and how it fits into the realm of zero trust, we've got to really factor that in because in some cases, uh, you know, those, those uh, types of technologies actually are some of the highest value assets on our networks in terms of like, those are direct life and death um, type technologies that uh, are, are absolutely uh, important to, to, to protect and manage. Uh, zero trust is a good way to, to factor that in to, you know, move up the stack, uh, you know, not just looking at what you can do at network segmentation, but looking at how you can, you know, incorporate robust controls uh, up through the uh, application stack to uh, protect those, those devices on the networks. Yeah, this is Sean. So it's, it's interesting having these discussions around internet things. We've had some of these for a while, even before it was really called IOT. I remember back in the early days of TIC1 when Karen Evans team at OMB was leading a lot of the efforts, there was a significant amount of time trying to figure out what do we do with tsunami uh, warning buoys out in the Pacific in terms of how does that fit in the TIC1, TIC2 model. And I think that was a, just an example. There's a lot of interest from the agencies aside respectively for the enterprise environments, but whether these sensors that the agencies have, it could be uh, fire warning sensors out in the forest, it could be uh, agricultural and farm type sensors. Uh, we know the, the, the medical agencies with the, uh, the internet devices inside the hospitals. There is a large interest around these. I think one of the benefits going back to what John says, we can apply different types of risk around it in ways we couldn't through the old tick one or tick two architecture. So we can now be able to recognize the importance of some, like John was saying, the some things are life uh, life importance. And so we, we have the ability now to model and possibly build playbooks or use cases to help agencies help secure these devices themselves and to help secure the environments that talk to those devices. Gary, another piece of this discussion when we talk about OT or IT or even just zero trust is the hardware side and, and that where we can get down to the supply chain risk management, we can do a whole show on that. But how are you starting to think about that issue of, of how these devices, whether again, hardware, software, OT, IT, wherever it fits in and supply chain kind of fits into that zero trust discussion? Uh, very much along the lines of what Josh was talking about um, with with the added emphasis on there's a the, there's a risk that I uh, that that I have by having them on the network. 
in some form or fashion. So I give them a what I'll what I'll call simply as a risk score. So they may have a higher risk posture or risk score because I can't put an agent on it. I don't have telemetry other than I know I'm treating them as another identity. They're able to access the network and authenticate to it, get an IP and things like that. But I can't control it, manage it in the way I would your uh, fully managed desktop or laptop, for instance. So I'm going to give it a risk a risk score. And I think um, going back, and I think we'll we'll be uh, mentoring automation or some sort as well. And I think we talked about it before. We got a machine learning and artificial intelligence are going to be very big. I think parts of zero trust because. What does normal look like? What does normal look like? What does normal look like? When that IoT device starts browsing the internet, that's not normal. Okay, action has to be taken. My risk posture just went up as a result. It was very high with those IoT devices, but now it's doing something that's a little abnormal. Boom, hit a threshold. I'm gonna take some kind of action. Um, and, and that's gotta be automated. We can't wait on the humans to, to look for the blinky red light, figure out what it is, and then take some kind of action. It's not normal. Machine learning, AI is going to help baseline understand what normal looks like. Is data flowing in the right ways as it normally does, as best as we know? Yes. Um, is that IoT device behaving as it normally does? Yes. No? Oh, all right. Threshold met. Take action. Yeah, Jerry, I think one of the, the keys to that is enabling your IT to do that for you. Uh, very conservative in the government. Uh, very, don't want to, we don't want you know the cyborgs taking over taking over operations, right? So the question is, you know, as 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 a CIOs and 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 CISOs, where is that line? What are we comfortable with automating and whatnot? Uh, I when when we started using AWS as an agency and and I started getting into the different uh, capabilities it had, the Lambda function came out and 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 I love Lambda, right? Anytime something changes, I can slap it back and say, you know, you're back to the last known. And but having, you know, applications, mission systems um, have a have security come in and make automated changes to them on the fly. That's something that uh, that folks aren't real, uh, real real they're not happy to have that happen. So so that that's a very good point, Gary. And I'm not saying just flip the switch overnight. Um, and I'm happy to hear that you were part of the lambda 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 fraternity uh, movie <laughs> reference there. Uh, yeah. In case you try lambs. Uh, yes. <laughs> but um, you know what I tell people is you got to take the crawl walk run approach, right? you know, understand. Uh, and then, all right, if I did apply this and I made this my threshold and this is the appropriate action, what would that look like? You know, and then get comfortable with that before you actually do the implementation and enforce it. So you got to take the incremental steps um, because I absolutely agree with you. There is some caution that if you keep fixing things, you don't get the root cause because you kept fixing it. So what was the root cause? And it keeps occurring. Um, you know, so we've always, I've always been cautionary about over automating things as well because of that factor, but it's definitely, you know, I, I always advocate for the crawl, rock, run, crawl, walk, run approach, um, before you fully automate things. Otherwise you could be in more of a mess. Um, if you don't take some, some kind of approach like that. Jerry, this is Josh. I, I absolutely agree. And I think that, you know, that comes back to the broader conversation of zero trust, that, that crawl, walk, run, right. That this is a, a thing that we have to do methodically we have to do it planning um and by the way wait on the humans is a phrase i'm now going to use in the rest of the course of my life i'm just going to start saying it that way too we don't wait on the humans for that um so anyways uh, but overall as we look at these i think you know the convergence of both what you and gary are saying are correct we we can't over automate that but at the same time once we have built in that, you know, user behavior analytics and that machine learning to understand that we are automating something based on behavior patterns rather than automating something based on a specific trigger or action, right? So right now, the policies that we have, the way that we automate responses are thresholds or actions. They're not necessarily um, pattern analysis, right? And so the idea that, that you're putting forth about that machine learning and understanding that an IoT device doesn't browse the internet and now all of a sudden it's it's kicking stuff out. Understanding that user behavior and then being able to respond to the user behavior and not necessarily uh, a flip a switch type threshold, right? Like we're, uh, that's what's going to be important about that moving forward. 
gentlemen, we're just about out of time. Before I let you go, I'm going to ask John or, or Sean, probably John, to give me the last word. Uh, Sean made a comment when we were on the panel just recently. Jason, aren't you happy enough with this document? What's next, right? So I know that you all at CISA are always looking forward, always have a lot going on. So John, what, what's your advice? What's your recommendation when agencies need help with zero trust? What should they know from CISA about what's 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 not just happening today and tomorrow, but but down the road, where are you taking them? Well, I think the 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 important thing to keep in mind is that you know we are continuing to engage with agencies to understand their pain points. Um, you know, we do cyber stats. We are are doing our level best to make sure there's clarity uh, in terms of like what CISA offers for our programs and services, whether it's from CDM, uh, the uh, uh, CyberCusmo, or or those types of programs. I think the the key is for us to continue to evolve to refine and, and reshape, you know, what we're doing to support zero trust, because it's it's definitely gonna, it's changing the way we're thinking about, you know, how we do our, our business at, at CIS in particular. Um, and we just have to understand, uh, and we do that through engagement with industry, and we do it uh, through engagement with agencies, how we can evolve, uh, you know, our products and services uh, to support agencies as they transition to zero trust. And I think a lot of that really hinges on our ability to dig into zero trust maturity model and those types of products to, to better refine what we're trying to achieve. All right, gentlemen, there's a lot more to talk about. Unfortunately, we are out of time for today. So let me thank my guests. Jerry Karen is the Chief Information Officer for the Office of the Inspector General at the Department of Health and Human Services. Gary Buchanan is the Director of the Cybersecurity Office and the Chief Information Security Officer at the National Geospatial Intelligence Agency. Sean Connolly is the TIC Program Manager at the Cybersecurity and Infrastructure Security Agency. John Sims is a senior technology advisor for the Office of the Chief, Chief Technology Officer at the Cybersecurity and Infrastructure Security Agency. And Josh Broadbent is the Regional Vice President for Public Sector Solutions Engineering at Beyond Trust. Gentlemen, thank you so much for your time today. Thank you. Thank you. I, I'm Jason Miller, and you've been listening to the panel discussion, Take Control of Privileged Access Before Attackers Do, sponsored by Beyond Trust on Federal News Network. For more on this discussion, visit federalnewsnetwork.com and search Beyond Trust. Thank you for listening to the discussion, Take Control of Privileged Access Before Attackers Do, sponsored by Beyond Trust on Federal News Network.